This is Christopher Heck. I'm a managing partner at Tanager Wealth Management based in London. And we'll be shortly joined by Kyle Pettigrove, a partner at Tanager Wealth Management based in Philadelphia. And we'd like to talk to you today about UK pensions for US residents. A very tricky topic, and there's lots of angles that can be taken with this, but certainly something that we've found needs to be addressed and there need to be efficient solutions for this challenge that a lot of our clients are facing. So we're gonna to talk to you today about how to better manage your UK pension for your US-based life. And I must say up front, although we're not tax advisors, uh, we do know enough to be dangerous, as my grandma used to say, and we'll do our best to try to address some of the tax consequences of having a UK pension while resident in the US, but we should defer to a qualified US-UK accountant to answer many of those. If you don't have one, we're happy to put you in touch with a, a US accountant who might be based in the UK or might be based in the US that can help understand uh, what these particular ramifications are for your own specific circumstances. Tanager Wealth Management was founded eight years ago by several Americans living in London, specifically to deal with the challenges that, that we all faced ourselves as transatlantic families, whether that was pensions in one country or the other, or the, the unusual tax consequences that we face as Americans, or indeed, as Kyle found out, as an American returning back to the US after a tour abroad, uh, what those challenges are once you're back in the US. And so briefly today, we're gonna to go over some of the common questions and issues that we hear from, uh, from yourselves and from some of our clients who are, are again based in the US or indeed based in the UK. An overview of UK pensions and what they are and uh, the structures around them. What US residents with UK pensions need to understand what your options are, of course, that's probably why you're dialing in today. And then a little bit about how we can help solve those challenges for you and, and what you need to think about as you're trying to evaluate different solutions. So with that, I'd like to introduce Kyle Pettigrove. Kyle, again, is a partner at Tanager Wealth Management based in Philadelphia. He himself is a dual citizen and uh, has lived abroad himself and indeed has faced some of the same challenges that, that you might be facing yourselves. Uh, when he returned back to the US. Kyle, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Chris, and thank you all for joining us today. I'm sure you're all very excited for uh, your nth webinar since March. I'm sure that's all we many of us have been doing since March. Uh, so I'll try to keep this concise and, and to the point. I think you'll all find it very helpful. We have a lot of useful information for you today. And then at the end, we will leave time for uh, some Q&A. Just a quick note, there is a Q&A box or a function in this webinar. Uh, it should also give you the option to turn on anonymous if you'd not like to share your name when you ask a question. So feel free to use that uh, and we will field those questions at the end. So we're gonna begin today, as Chris said, by looking at some of the more common questions and issues that we find uh, amongst our US resident prospects and clients that have UK pensions. Um, there are many, many, many issues and uh, planning opportunities that we encounter. And they're very bespoke based on each individual's uh, unique situation. But some of the more common ones we see, and probably the most common, is can I transfer my UK pension to the US? Uh, it's, it's not a silly question, but the simple answer is no. You cannot transfer your UK pension into the US. Um, there is a, a, you can, actually transfer your UK pension outside of the UK under UK law, but the US, as long as you're a US taxpayer, does not really recognize that as a qualified pension transfer. Meaning, 
it's a taxable event if a UK pension leaves the UK borders in 99% of cases. So the, the answer to this is no. The next question is uh, that we see a lot is my UK pension provider only allows me for annuity style benefits. Do I have any other options? Um, and for those of you who don't know what annuity style benefits are, uh, it's a lifetime income payment. Your employer will pay you X amount per month uh, for the rest of your life. Believe it or not, for many people who are familiar with the US pension system, this is not uh, that uncommon in the UK. Each scheme and pension is designed by whichever employer builds it and can have its own terms and indeed can only allow certain benefit options upon retirement. So it's not uncommon. Uh, so the answer is if your scheme only allows for that, then you don't have other options within that scheme, but you do always have the option to transfer out of that scheme. Uh, and indeed look to another pension that will provide you with additional benefits. So the next question is, do I need a financial advisor to move my UK pension? This one is, is very bizarre for someone who's more used to the US uh, pension system, but you do. There has been increasing pension regulations um, in the UK, and we'll discuss this later on in the presentation, but you do need uh, financial advice to transfer one UK pension to another. And this becomes increasingly a big problem for anyone who's a US resident. And that's why we have the next question, can you provide UK pension advice to a US resident? Uh, the answer is we can, yes, but very few firms and advisors can or will, simply because of many regulations in both the US and the UK uh, that create compliance issues, as well as uh, PI issues and, and all sorts of issues. But yes, Tanager Wealth, as Chris mentioned, we are duly regulated in the US and the UK. We can provide this advice uh, and, and help people with their UK pension issues, even if they're US residents. So will I pay US or UK tax when I start claiming my UK pension benefits? This is a very nuanced question. And the answer, pardon me, let me go back a slide. The answer is dependent on uh, where you'll be when you retire, which is, might be quite obvious to you, but then how you claim your pension benefits. What benefits are available? Are you taking an annuity? Are you taking a lump sum? There, there's many factors that play into the answer to this question. So it's very important that you understand all of this and the repercussions before uh, we even discuss this question or the answer to this question, but we will get to this further on. So what are some common issues we see? M many of these, you have probably already seen yourself, or if not, you might expect to see them in the near future. Um, we've grouped them into three broad categories based on what we've seen uh, in our experience. The first being control. So US residents have typically restricted access to UK platforms. For example, they don't have a UK address and the provider therefore limits their ability to manage their investment or change options within the pension. This is largely a result of the second point, FATCA. FATCA is a fund regulation from the US that was uh, created for, for numerous reasons, but the impact of it on you, US residents with UK pensions, is that many UK firms, platforms, and pensions had to review their customer base and see who their US residents were and do special reporting on them to the US. Because of this, many firms chose the easy option, which was to either evict their US resident clients where possible, kindly ask them to move their pension to another provider, or uh, freeze their ability to transact on the account, as I mentioned in the previous point. So fear of litigation from the US and indeed PI or professional insurance 
would not often cover U.S. residents for these firms for that reason. Uh, and then unwillingness to become SEC licensed by these firms have all created hurdles for many U.S. residents to open new accounts and work with new providers in the U.K. and indeed current ones. So I know many of you may uh, actually just have kept your UK address on your pension, even after you've moved to the US. Uh, I, I won't go there, but generally, uh, if they find out you're a US resident, you might face some of these issues in the future. So regulation and a changing UK regulatory environment. Uh, if you do plan to retire in the UK over the course of a 30-year retirement, a lot could change. Uh, that's, that's really not a surprise or shouldn't be, but more recently, I think something worth discussing that we've seen is increasingly tough pension transfer rules in the UK. This is a result of mis-selling uh, SIPs or self-invested personal pensions um, from A-Day back in 2006, but broadly it's just a result of financial advisors convincing people to transfer their pensions. And this is dealing with mainly just UK residents and UK citizens. So, um, but predatory selling of these pensions. And because of that, the UK or the FCA has required pension transfers to be looked at by financial advisors and have special advice provided, which is what I mentioned earlier. That's the reason, um, or one of the reasons that you need financial advice to transfer pensions within the UK. The second uh, category that we've grouped these issues into is access. So these points are, they speak for themselves, I think, but to uh, elaborate a bit, many UK platforms have very outdated technology it can make it very difficult and tedious to keep track of and manage your pensions. Uh, you might not have run into this now because you might essentially just have an orphaned pension back in the UK that, you know, you kind of just left it there and forgot about it after you've moved to the US. It's not that uncommon. So you just have not really interacted with them since then. But you might find in the future that when you do need to do something or make a change or, or really do anything of importance with your pension, they might, for example, require a wet signature. They might require you to print something out, sign it, and mail it across the ocean to them to do anything. So it's not just a click of a button or a phone call, and, and that makes it very difficult to manage your pension from the US. And then additionally, the client service teams are often uninformed with how to deal with the specific issues that US residents face. So you might call them and ask, can you pay my benefits into a US bank account? Well, they just don't know how to handle that. The client service teams are not trained on this stuff up uh, typically. And, and that makes it really difficult to find specific answers to the questions and unique issues that you face as a U.S. resident. Uh, not to mention just time zone differences make communicating with them a chore. Uh, and finally, outdated reporting uh, or a complete lack of reporting really just creates issues for you because you can't find info on your pensions or your investments or your fees etc. through on, through the um, internet, you have to go basically through the periodic paper statements that you get in the mail. And this just creates another hurdle for you to manage your pension from across the ocean because you have to go through the mail, which is getting sent across the ocean, and then you have to call and there's different time zones. So I'm sure you can see the issues that that causes. And the final group and probably the most important category would be just planning, integrated planning. So many of you may already have a financial plan in place. You might already work with an advisor. Uh, if you're a U.S. resident, this plan is probably based around a U.S. residency retirement. So you have these U.K. pensions, though, that are certainly a part of your financial plan. The question is, are they integrated? And what I mean, what I mean by that is, do you have certainty that you know how the currency, the regulatory, the tax, the estate planning, all of these implications will factor into your situation as a U.S. resident taxpayer 
or are you just kind of assuming it'll work itself out? Uh, and this is probably the most common issue we see is people just assume it'll work itself out and, and it really doesn't. So you really need to understand how the currency plays a role, how tax plays a role, what happens uh, with estate funding implications. And, and as Chris said, we're not accountants or state funding attorneys, but we are financial advisors that specialize in this space. And because of that, we have to have a certain degree of knowledge about all of the above. So uh, we're quite good at tying all of that advice together and working with your other advisors to, to create this integrated financial plan for you. Um, so that, that pretty much covers finance professional advisors. But um, the one other thing I might say is there's a very limited number of professional advisors that are qualified to provide this joined up advice. So, uh, and that's not just limited to financial advisors, it goes for accounts and estate planning attorneys as well. So making sure you have the right advisors and not just um, a US advisor who might be very good in their own right, but really are just not qualified to provide advice on UK assets or UK pension benefits. This is very important. Uh, and there's very few firms who do this. So let's move on and look at the UK pension overview. Um, so many people that come to us because they have these orphan pension accounts, just don't really understand what kind of pension they have. And this plays a role in the issues they might face or the advice they might require. So as I said earlier, pensions are highly, highly regulated in the UK. And generally speaking, we're either seeing people come to us with a legacy employer pension or a personal pension. So the legacy employer pension is that group personal pension plan that you contributed to when you worked with your employer back in the UK and you just never moved it or did anything with it. Personal pensions are either um, self-invested personal pensions or stakeholder pensions. It's, it's a pension you either just created to and self-funded yourself, or it might be one that you transferred from an employer plan in the UK previously when you lived there. But regardless, they're, transfer, they're, they're um, seen in two broad categories, defined benefit and defined contribution. I'm not gonna go into the specifics, but uh, the thing you need to know is the defined benefits are highly, highly regulated in the UK and the defined contributions are still regulated, but, but not quite as regulated as the defined benefits. The defined benefit plans have a guaranteed benefit in the future, typically based on your final salary when you work with the employer. Uh, really, this means that the investment risk is with the provider to provide these benefits to you in the future. So if the, if the markets go down significantly, it's, it's on them to make sure they can still fund this benefit they promised you. Defined contribution plans are far more common. Uh, and this is where you're contributing to an account and maybe your employer matches it. But your future benefit is based on those contributions plus the investment performance. And because of that, the pensioner, i.e. you, are exposed to the investment risk. Um, both, are subject, or both are allowed the 25% tax-free lump sum. There's an asterisk on this because this is a gray area of the US-UK tax treaty. So it's subject to debate, but we will cover this later. Um, and then other and that is something worth That is something worth repeating. Pardon me, Kyle. That is something worth repeating that the, sure. the taxation on the lump sum is, is somewhat up to debate, um, which if you're not uh, knee deep in this industry, as Kyle and myself and our team at Tanager are, uh, you might say, well, how can that be up for debate? It should just be black and white. Uh, well, in fact, a double tax agreement between the U.S. and the U.K. is is gray, and I believe was signed on the order of 20 years ago. Um, so it's somewhat out of date and doesn't move quite as fast as technology does, nor indeed as the markets and uh, the pension market does. So um, we'll have to defer any questions that might come up on the taxation of that tax-free lump sum. Certainly in the U.K. it is tax-free, but then within that U.S.-U.K. double tax agreement that governs how it would be taxed um, by the IRS, 
um, particularly whether you're resident in the US and there might be state taxation to consider on top of the federal IRS taxation, uh, we're gonna have to defer that discussion and really work a bit closer with your accountants um, over time uh, to, to define an opinion. We really have seen accountants argue uh, this point uh, quite passionately on both sides, uh, whether it's a big four or whether it's an independent expert who's been doing this for their whole career. Um, there really are different opinions on the tax status of that to the IRS for a U.S. citizen. Yep, absolutely right. And thanks for jumping in, Chris. That's a very important point. And, and we'll touch on this later on, but we could have a whole presentation on this alone. Um, as Chris said, there's, there's many nuances there. So we will move on though now to uh, the other benefits I'll quickly mention. The defined benefit, because you don't have an account, uh, you don't have an account with your name on it or account number, you have a benefit or a payment coming to you. You're typically given survivor benefits, which means if you pass away early uh, or, or shortly after retirement, that there will be benefits continued to be paid out to your surviving beneficiaries, your spouse or your children or whoever that might be. It's not always 100% of the benefit. And this is important because sometimes and quite often it's 50% of the benefit, which means that if you're planning for a retirement and this is a significant piece of your retirement, and if you were to pass away early, can your family survive on 50% of this benefit? That's not always the case. So it's an important thing to look at and it's an important thing to consider if the defined benefit pension is appropriate for you. Uh, on the defined contribution side, you do have an account and you do have uh, investments in your name and, and they are yours. So if you were to pass away there, the full account just goes to your beneficiary. Now, um, the other benefits with a defined contribution worth mentioning is it gives more flexible access to your retirement benefits. So flexible drawdown means that you can take income from it kind of uh, at will so you can name how much you want to take and the frequency that you want to take it. And you can, also, you can also change that after you start taking the benefits. However, you can also go out and purchase an annuity, which is very similar to the defined benefit option. So now I want to talk about some things you should be thinking about as a U.S. resident with a U.K. pension. And almost without question, uh, currency risk is the most important thing you need to be thinking about. So we're going to talk a lot about this uh, before we talk about some of the other things. But this chart that you're looking at is looking at the pound to dollar exchange rate uh, back over the last 50 years to the collapse of the, the Bretton Woods Agreement and pinning the currency to gold, if you remember that. But uh, I want you to focus on how much the currency difference moves between $2 and $1 over the last 50 years. Now imagine that any 30 year period on this chart, you're retired and you're banking on a certain amount of income coming to you in pounds, but it's gonna be paid out in dollars. That makes it very difficult to plan for a consistent level of income. The mismatch between a US retiree's currency of consumption, which is USD, and their UK's uh, pension currency, which is pounds, presents uh, a lot of these long-term risks. So first off, the pound denominated investments in your pension plans, if it's a defined contribution plan, uh, introduces currency risk on top of investment risk. So just because that pension in pounds returned 6% last year, that doesn't really mean that you got a 6% return if it's eventually meant to fund uh, US currency uh, expenses. Because if the pounds value dropped against the dollar, that's going to take away from that 6% return. So it's important that you're considering this and that you're able to know this uh, as time goes on. The other thing is pensions that, go ahead, Chris. 
And, and just as a practical point, I would add that um, many of my clients and, and most of my clients do have UK pensions as part of their overall household portfolio. But just as a practical side, the investment options that are inside of your typical corporate pension uh, to choose from tends to be on the order of 90% of them are, are GBP denominated. So even if you wanted to make your pension a dollar pension to match, as, as Kyle called it, your currency of investment to match your currency of consumption, you just don't really have the options to do it. There might be 10 fixed income funds and all of them are GBP uh, denominated bond funds. So you simply don't have a way to hide from this currency risk inside of a GBP pension. And it's really crucial to think about this. Um, Kyle, do you have an example of, of how the fluctuation can impact, I guess, your, your retirement spending or just your thoughts on, um, on how that can work? I do. Um, so uh, we'll bounce to the next slide here. And this is looking at uh, perhaps a more contemporary example, the last 10 years as opposed to the last 50. So looking at the last 10 years, you can see the exchange rate still has fluctuated quite a bit uh, between $1.72 and $1.14. Surprisingly, the low is quite recent or maybe unsurprisingly. Um, if you were receiving a pension that was 30,000 pounds a year or 60,000 pounds a year, that means that there's a 30% fluctuation from the high to the low in the actual purchasing power of this pound income to you. So yes, your pound income is the same. You're still getting 30,000 pounds or you're still getting 60,000 pounds. But remember, you have to move that into dollars. And depending on the exchange rate fluctuations, you could have as much as $51,000 uh, in the case of this $30,000 annual income in USD at the high or as low as $34,000. I, it's very obvious, I think, to most people how difficult it is to plan retirement income and make sure that you can afford to uh, live the life that you want to live in retirement when your income could fluctuate by that amount. And this is just in the last 10 years. It's actually quite a subtle period in um, pound volatility. If we look back at this chart from the last 10 years right here, that's a pretty uh, tame amount of movement in the exchange rate when you look back across the last 50. So this is not, this is not something that is limited to the last 10 years. It's actually something that's happened throughout the history and it's going to continue to happen. And it might even happen at a more volatile rate. So it's something you need to plan for. It's something you need to consider. And it's easily the biggest risk you're exposed to as a U.S. resident with a U.K. pension. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's something that we talk about internally at Tanager quite a lot, as we have uh, the dreaded B word uh, looming around the corner in six or seven weeks, where who knows what the pound will do, um, whether we have a, a fantastic deal with the EU or whether we have no deal with the EU, or whether we stay in the EU, which is probably the least likely option of, of the three, um, but who knows what's going to happen to the pound. And this really does impact you as you're considering, you know, being on a fixed income through your retirement potentially. Um, you know, do you want that fixed income to be in a different currency than what you're actually consuming? And it's a question that I would say all of our uh, retired clients in the U.S. ask us. And it simply comes down to, to understanding the, the, the ramifications of this chart and the magnitude of the, the challenge ahead. So by and large, we often look at, at how do we dollarize your U.K. pension to make it uh, a bit more efficient and a bit less risky um, for the, the retirement that you're leading in the U.S., uh, I heard a great example of uh, to someone in a boat on choppy waters uh, looking at land, it looks like the land is volatile. And in fact, it's the boat. You're in the choppy waters yourself and you just don't see how, how volatile it is. So you really need to understand um, what do I need and do I want certainty in my income 
in the same currency or am I willing to tolerate this? And, and maybe there's upside to it. Maybe the pound goes back up. But is that a, a challenge that you want to face? Yep, exactly right. It's it's the biggest thing that we deal with and the biggest thing that we look at when we're when we're looking at US residents with UK pensions. So what are some other things we look at though? Well, the 25% tax-free lump sum, which we touched on quite a bit earlier, being a gray area under the tax treaty is is something that people commonly ask us, does it apply to me? And I can't answer that for anyone on this call without knowing your full situation. And even then, I still want to work with your accountant. But knowing whether it will apply and then incorporating it, incorporating it into your financial plan is, is a big thing that we, we do for U.S. residents. Um, and that really plays into U.S.-U.K. taxation overall. So where will my benefits be taxed? What kind of tax will I be paying? Uh, a lot of what we do is helping people interpret the language in the tax treaty because you have to know that the tax treaty was written back in 1975. So many of the planning issues that we help clients with, they are issues and they are planning opportunities because so much of what we see today did not exist back then. So it's not explicitly addressed in the treaty at all. The 25% tax-free lump sum is a great example of this. So we're not accountants, uh, so I'm not gonna bore you with the next 30 minutes of a, a riveting discussion around that when we can't actually you know, provide the end say there, but I think a good example is that is the 25% tax-free lump sum because is it a lump sum because lump sum is in the word or is it pension income because it is coming from a pension? That's, that's one of the questions we have to figure out and it depends on you and your situation and how you're claiming your benefits. Um, so the lump sum versus income is a big discussion because it will dictate where you pay tax, the U.S. or the U.K. There is a difference in who has the right of taxation based on if the benefits are paid out as a lump sum payment or as income. Uh, and that plays into retirement income tax planning. I mean, how can you really know what your retirement income or the retirement income tax you're paying will be if you don't know where you're paying tax or at what rate you're paying tax? That's very important, obviously, for figuring out your net income. Uh, and then utilizing foreign tax credits. So these are something that some of you might have, some of you might not, but um, they are generated from foreign income where you've paid tax at a higher rate in another country and you're still a U.S. taxpayer. I won't go into too much detail here, but if they do apply to you, they can be quite valuable and they can even be generated in the future, possibly, if you have the right planning in place. Um, and Kyle, if I could interrupt there for just one second, because I sure. know that you... You did have a recent client that was an executive at a multinational company, and uh, this was exactly the situation that that client um, found themselves in, where we there were there were two, I believe, big four accounting firms disagreeing and digging their heels in on whether this was lump sum or whether this was income, um, and and certainly if if two big four accountancies are disagreeing, uh, it's hard for us to offer an opinion um, on which which way the uh, the candle burns. Uh, but the end result was that the client would either have masses of foreign tax credits that were difficult to deploy. So in other words, had paid more tax than was necessary, uh, or in fact, it was, it was very efficient and there wasn't any additional tax to pay. So I know that's it's something that, again, a lot of our clients are looking at, and Kyle has, uh, has worked with a significant client recently on, on solving this exact challenge for them and coming to an agreement between the different uh, disagreement, disagreeing parties uh, on this. Yep, and that, that uh, touches on the last point. What Chris just said was absolutely right. In that, two big four accountants disagreed on a very crucial part of this client's retirement plan. So we're not the ones who are going to make the call there. 
but we are the ones who are going to integrate whatever the call ends up being from the accountants that we go with, I guess. Uh, we're the ones that integrate that into the rest of your plan and make sure that it's working in harmony with any other U.S. assets that are funding your retirement or uh, any other income that's going to play into your tax rate. So integrating all of this advice from these specialty advisors in these unique situations is a critical part of this. You can't just get these one-off pieces of advice from the different advisors and expect everything to play nicely together. So that's a big part of what we do. Um, and then finally, the lifetime allowance is something I think many people either should be thinking about or are thinking about. Um, it does apply to you as U.S. residents. You've, you've not escaped it by moving out of the U.K., unfortunately. Um, so understanding how this will affect you and do you have protection in place already uh, and have you done any proactive planning for it is critical. Now, this might not apply to everyone because the lifetime allowance uh, for the 2020-2021 tax year is £1,073,100. Uh, uh, £1, uh, so you're only going to have to deal with this if your benefit value exceeds this or will exceed this by the time you claim benefits. If you don't claim benefits, it will still come back to haunt you at age 75, which means that if you have investment growth inside of that pension that could potentially put you over that value by age 75, you are still exposed to this. Um, now, without going into too much detail, the charge on this is either 55% if you take your benefits as a lump sum or 25% plus income tax if you take it as an income stream. And I only tell you this to show you how significant this is on your pension benefits. Because if we're dealing with a pension that is going to potentially violate the lifetime allowance, it's quite a significant sum, and it probably plays a large role in your retirement plan. So having additional tax of 25% on top of your income tax, well, that's going to be a huge, huge impact on the net benefits you receive in retirement. So making sure that we're aware of this and that we're proactively planning to, to reduce it if it is an issue or optimize to make sure that it's not an issue is, is a really important part of what we do for clients. Uh, you don't have and to be often a what we'll, oh, And ahead, often Chris. what we'll find, I'm sorry, Kyle, and often what we'll find is that uh, the, the withholding, um, because the, the withholding might be a one-time lump sum tax, uh, you know, if you're over that 1,073,000 pounds of lifetime allowance and your pension value, um, that withholding might be higher than your US tax rate is. So even though you might be able to offset US taxes due um, with the UK taxes paid, it's not quite as simple as that because you might be, let's say you've retired to Florida and you're in a lower tax band. If you have a 15% you know, federal tax rate in the US, but then they're withholding 25% uh, at the HMRC level, you know, what do you, you, you can't reclaim that other 10% you're just perpetually lower than, than the HMRC rate. So actually when they're withheld and the fact that you can um, you know, use the credits to offset each other, it doesn't quite work out because the US tax rate is perpetually lower. And I know we've seen this with clients who specifically have retired to Florida and might be in a lower tax bracket and simply drawing down from their UK pension and having the, the mandatory 20% withholding withheld at the UK pension source uh, it's actually higher than their, their federal tax rate is um, in living in Florida on a relatively modest income. Um, so it's hard to just deploy that. So you have to make sure that you have a solution for what the, the UK withholding tax might be, or indeed how to mitigate the lifetime allowance charges that Kyle just referenced. Um, there are two huge uh, pieces that are, are large inefficiencies um, with US residents having a UK pension. And that, that's a great point, Chris. And that brings up one other thing I should mention. Um, this goes back to another gray area of the treaty. Um, 
the lifetime allowance is not an income tax. It is a penalty tax. So some of you might be used to netting out the taxes paid in the UK, maybe you have rental income uh, versus against US tax that you've paid on the same income and making sure that you know, you're getting credits and, and one tax is offset in the other where it can. The lifetime allowance is a penalty tax. So it's very important that you understand how that will play in. Can it be offset by US tax? This is a gray area. Will it generate things like foreign tax credits? This is a gray area. So understanding and having a plan for this is really critical. Uh, in, in navigating this. So uh, in summary, I can't say it enough, having a holistic US-UK financial plan, that really doesn't just mean the UK pension. I know we're talking about that right now, but there's so much more you can do planning-wise with your UK pension if it's integrated in with all of your other assets. So you might have a US 401k or a US pension or a US brokerage account. You might have other UK accounts. Having all of this integrated and aligned to your goals is going to open up more options for you in planning, specifically around your UK pension, but around all of your assets. So um, this plays in a lot to what I'm saying, and I know we keep saying it, but it is very important. So as a US resident, what are your options? Um, believe me, it's not lost on me how uh, small this flowchart is. It is small because there just are not many options. You, if you are a US resident with the UK pension, live in a world that very few people of the population live in and the regulations just were not written to cater to people like you and, and indeed us, I'm a, I'm a dual citizen as well. So um, your options are limited. The first thing you wanna do is evaluate. You might have one pension in the UK, you might have several, you might have four or five. You need to go out and you need to look at those. You need to look at, um, do they know you're a US resident? And if you intend to retire in the US, you should really let them know. Will that prevent you from being able to do anything to transact? Uh, on the account or, or access any options or benefits. What are the retirement benefits provided to you? Because don't, don't just assume that you'll be able to access this money whenever you want, you know, 20,000 pounds here or 10,000 pounds there. What are the options available to you and are they suitable for you? Uh, and then finally, have a good think on, are you comfortable with managing this throughout your retirement? You might be smart enough to do it. Many people are, but it's not uh, it's not an easy thing. It's tedious. And as regulations change, it could become more tedious. So do you want the task of dealing with this continuity throughout your retirement when you really just want to be enjoying your money, I'm sure. Um, so if the answer to all of that is you're fine, then by all means remain. Uh, it, it might be suitable for you. I, I don't know. I don't have the crystal ball. But if it is not, then your option is really to move, transfer, consolidate your pension or pensions. Um, and as a U.S. citizen or U.S. resident taxpayer, you might not be a citizen, uh, the option to you is really consolidating inside of a U.K. personal pension. There are many other things that are floating around there on the Internet that you may have heard of uh, that you could move your pension to instead. 99% of what we see out there is, are, are products that are being missold. They are typically not beneficial for 99% of the population. They have high fees. They're, they're just not going to be tax uh, appropriate for you. So sometimes the simplest solution is indeed the best. And in this case, it's the UK IRA. If you're more familiar with the US system, the UK IRA equivalent, which is a UK personal pension. And in our case, our solution for US residents is a SIP, which I've said several times in this presentation, a self-invested personal pension. Um, now, it doesn't have to be that, but it, it most of the time is just based on the fact that it's the most suitable. Um, so what is a SIP? A SIP is an IRA equivalent for the UK. It stays within the UK borders. 
you're not moving your pension anywhere outside of the UK. It is still tax deferred. So moving an employer pension into a SIP is not a taxable event. Um, and our product is built, custom built for US residents to cater to their needs. So it's low cost and transparent. You'll always know the fees and the costs are very competitive. Um, you're consolidating your US and UK investments and saving accounts often when you're working with us. So you might have this UK pension that you've moved into this SIP and it might be quite large, it might be medium or it might be small, but it might not make sense to put certain assets in there when you can put those assets in other accounts you might have in the US or the UK. So we can, we can incorporate this and consolidate your plan to make sure that everything is aligned towards your goals from an investment perspective. Um, and then pension transfer advice for US residents, which of course is the biggest barrier. You need this advice to do any of this. If you wanna move your pension, you're going to need pension transfer advice. There's very few people who can do this for US residents, and there's even fewer people who are actually regulated and qualified and licensed in both countries, uh, as Tanager is and as Tanager's advisors are. So that's, that's critical. Uh, Multi-currency reporting, this is something we've invested quite heavily in over the past few years. So as I mentioned earlier on the currency slide, just because your pension returns 6% doesn't mean it returns 6% in US dollar terms. So where are your accounts? Some of them might be in US dollars, if they're IRAs or brokerage accounts. Some of them might be in the UK as pensions. We have the ability to report on all of these next to each other and show the real-time performance in both pounds and dollars. Um, this is not something that was easy to do, and it is a huge benefit for clients because you'll always know what your performance is in the right reporting currency, as well as your fees and the value of your investments. Um, so that's, that's huge. And then U.S. dollar denominated investments, as Chris talked about earlier, this is another one that's really important. So by having the ability to have a U.K. pension account, the uh, SIP, in the U.K., and we wrap that around a U.S. brokerage account, we have the ability to get USD investments inside of your pension in the UK. The benefit to this is we completely, well, I won't say completely because you should never talk in, in finite, but we can get rid of and pretty much eliminate the currency risk from your UK pension. So if you intend to remain in the US, we can eliminate the currency risk from having UK uh, pound-based investments inside of your pension. And this is very important. I mean, this, this eliminates a huge piece of volatility from your planning because now a significant piece of your retirement assets is now aligned in the currency of consumption for your retirement. And you no longer have to worry about how the pound fluctuates against the dollar. So that's, that's very, very important. And then lastly, real-time administration support. So you don't have to deal with all of the access and control issues because we built this solution from the ground up to cater to US residents. So you'll deal with an advisor, it might be me, it might be someone else, but you'll deal with an advisor who understands US resident issues and is available to help you. You'll have a support team that understands US resident issues and is available to help you. Uh, so you won't have to ever deal with that again. That's what we do for our clients. So I'm gonna hand it back over to Chris to talk a little bit more about who we are, uh, and then we'll move on to the Q&A. Fantastic, thanks Kyle. That was a really good presentation. Lots of good knowledge in there. I hope everyone uh, was taking notes furiously uh, as, as Kyle was speaking. Um, so just to recap, Tanager was founded eight years ago uh, by myself and, and two others uh, who were looking at the, the, the lack of integration between investments, financial planning, and I wouldn't say tax and estate advice, but understanding the challenges of tax and estates that are, are faced by US expats and providing optimal solutions for clients. 
Um, again, as an American living in London myself, I was definitely seeking these types of solutions. And although I had worked at a large asset manager previously and I understood the investment uh, piece of it, um, I was still learning and being educated myself on, on the taxation and the state planning, uh, et cetera. And so as, as those solutions became apparent and as we had researched and built solutions based on our own situation, uh, realized what well, there might be a business here. And in fact, there are about 40,000 American households living in the United Kingdom that could use this solution and an even larger number of uh, returning Americans and British expats living across the US uh, that would need similar solutions that have similar challenges. So we were built specifically to deal with the transatlantic challenges that are faced uh, by families who are moving across uh, the Atlantic, either through their career or for retirement or whatever it might be. We probably experienced it ourselves and certainly amongst uh, the client households that we have. And as it says below, we have about 360 uh, households as clients. Currently, uh, we've probably built a solution for one of them that would work for you as well. All of them follow our, our principles of being efficient and optimal, as well as being very transparent and always acting as a fiduciary for you, our clients. Uh, we're not influenced by commissions or payments from outside. We're really only working for you and have no, uh, no external influences other than to do the right thing for our clients. Um, as we've mentioned a few times, we are regulated by the FCA in the UK and uh, by the SEC in the United States. So you're welcome to look us up on either of their websites to, to see our qualifications there. Uh, we have assets under management around $475 million, although the markets are so volatile that it could be plus or minus uh, something any given day. And as Kyle had alluded to earlier, all of our advisors are dual qualified uh, US-UK nationals ourselves. So again, we're living uh, very similar challenges to what you're probably living yourself. And we're deploying our own expertise and expertise across our 360 households uh, for your benefit. You don't have to go out and reinvent the wheel yourself. You don't have to be the one to try to bang your head against the wall and figure it out. We've probably figured it out for you. Um, and with that, we'll move to a Q&A. Uh, we do have one question that's come in, uh, which we can uh, briefly touch on. Um, it's what are our thoughts on not claiming the treaty on employer and employee pension contributions on U.S. tax returns so that you have a tax basis in the fund when you retire in the U.S.? This is a, a very advanced point um, that's being made. Um, and I think what the, uh, the, the panel, the person is asking is what getting to is um, should you take uh, the U.S. tax deductions on your U.K. pension contributions. So that assumes that you're still making contributions, in other words, still living in the U.K. and uh, making contributions to a pension. And should you take the U.S. tax deduction on that? Uh, Kyle, do you have any uh, thoughts on, on taking that or not taking the U.S. tax deduction um, such that the taxation might be different when you return to the U.S.? I have a lot of thoughts on that, Chris. Um, I, I, I really think that this question is highly dependent on the individual and their situation. Um, and I would love to talk about this uh, a lot more, but without knowing kind of the specific situation that we're talking about, it's very difficult to take a stance one way or the other. I mean, that's my opinion on this, Chris. I don't know if you have anything to add, but um, it is indeed a very advanced planning topic. It is advanced planning, and I think, uh, again, it is very situation and client specific, but there are ways if you are able to, to plan ahead and you've taken advice, again, while you're still contributing to your UK pension uh, and, and assumingly working in the UK, um, to find a way such that it is, it is not necessarily treated as a pension if you were to retire to the US uh, somewhere down the road, and perhaps it's treated as a foreign grantor trust 
um, of which you've contributed uh, money to, but you've never taken tax uh, relief on. So the IRS may view it. And again, this is something to confirm or deny with uh, a dual qualified accountant who understands both sides of the Atlantic's tax rules, uh, but that you can in fact treat it as a brokerage account perhaps when you take money out when you retire to the US. Uh, very, very good question and uh, very much an advanced planning topic, um, which we have facilitated for a few clients, um, but there are a lot of ifs in that statement. Um, but if you do have the proper advice and you're planning well enough and ahead, it can have fantastic advantages for you. Yep. We have another question here from the SIP product in the UK with dollar investments inside of it. What are the steps for a pension payment or drawdown to reach a US bank account in dollars? So that's a very good question because if you're familiar at all with how retirement accounts work and distributions from retirement accounts, they typically have to occur in the currency of the country they're in. So in the UK terms, that means it has to be distributed in pounds. Well, we have this UK pension account that is within the UK, but it's invested in US dollars. So what happens when you need to get this pension payment to you in a US dollar bank account? Well, we have set up a uh, system to make it as simple as possible for our clients. So they don't really see everything that's happening underneath, but we're essentially on the day of distribution, we'll have raised uh, the dollar cash. And then on the day of distribution, we will buy pounds and then we will distribute it, and then we will transfer it to their U.S. bank account or U.S. brokerage account. They might not always be in, be spending this money. It might sometimes go into a, a reinvested brokerage account. But this will all happen in about a day. It'll be purchased into the other currency, distributed, and then we'll purchase USD again, and then send it onto the account where it matters. So you're exposed to the exchange rate, but you're really only exposed for this one day. So there's not a whole lot of risk here. Uh, as opposed to being exposed for years and years and years if you're invested in the other currency. Yeah, um, very good point. And it's a very common question. Uh, and it actually gets down into the nitty gritty of the, the practicalities of, of having an overseas pension when you've retired or have moved back to the U.S. Um, and it's certainly something we've thought about. And as Kyle said, we've, we've developed a, what we think is a pretty clean solution. Um, such that dollars arrive in your bank account and you don't quite suffer the horrible effects, uh, challenges that you might get if you just go and, and you know, ask your retail bank to do a foreign exchange for you. Um, you get what we like to call the airplane rate or the airport rate, uh, which is when you see the 1.1 and 1.5 as the two FXs uh, in the lobby of the airport, if you remember airports. I know we haven't really been through airports in the last seven or eight months, um, but that spread is, is really the profit for the banks. And it's not quite that bad when you go to the retail banks, but it is going to be between three and 5% uh, for, for smaller amount transfers. So can you get that down to you know, under a half a percent? And that's a, a very good question to ask. Yep. Chris, I have another one here that's pretty common. Um, so I might have this pot of um, pound-based pensions or pension in the UK. What if I don't wanna transfer it to dollars right now because the exchange rate is so low? I think you, you might be better uh, suited to handle this because this is often a question we get and the answer really has a lot to do with uh, investing in a diversified portfolio versus waiting for a better exchange rate? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we get questions about the direction of the pound uh, every day, I guarantee it. And really, we have to understand, you know, what are the, the future um, triggers, uh, such as Brexit happening on January 1st, uh, with or without a deal, understanding the future path of economic growth in the UK relative to the US, or indeed other uh, currency zones, but specifically relative to the U.S., since this is a topic around U.S. Uh, residents, 
um, and understanding what will that do to the GBP USD um, foreign exchange rate. Um, we try not to be prognosticators here and put too much, uh, too much confidence down in any one bet in any one direction because truly no one knows the future. But we can take a, we can take a logical approach to deconstructing the question and deconstructing the analysis. And by that, I mean looking at what is the actual economic currency that you're exposed to. So if you buy shares of Coca-Cola, you might say, oh, well, that's a dollar stock. It trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Fantastic. That's one answer. You could take a step back and you could say, well, actually, Coca-Cola you know, has some revenues in euros and yen and pounds and yuan and, and Aussie dollars and whatever else. And you could say, well, Coca-Cola is a basket of, of currencies. So actually, when you buy shares of Coca-Cola, are you buying a dollar investment or are you buying an investment that is, for argument's sake, 50% dollar revenues, 25% euro revenues, 5% pound revenues, et cetera? And are you effectively buying a basket of, of revenue currencies uh, within that corporate structure? And so we think that slightly more nuanced view changes the discussion to really what should I do with my fixed income? Um, because that is legally an obligation to pay X amount of interest in Y currency. So for that, you are truly exposed to that currency that is uh, written into the legal contract of the bond or indeed the, the fund's objective if you're buying a bond fund. Um, so with that, the actual conversion to dollars, if we then turn around and buy, let's say, a product based on European equities, have we really dollarized the portfolio or are we still exposed to Euro, Swiss franc and, and pounds? And that slightly more nuanced discussion really does then bring it down to, let's say, if you have a 60-40 portfolio of what do you want to do with that 40% of fixed income? And should I convert all of that to dollar fixed income now and effectively lock in the rate for that 40% of my portfolio? And, and that's a very good question. So we do have solutions whereby we can keep pound investments inside the portfolio or we can dollarize that fixed income piece. And it really comes down to a discussion of, do you still have liabilities back in the UK? Do you plan on splitting your retirement potentially between the two countries? Um, do you really think, or do we really think collaboratively that the pound is going to go back to those lofty two or 2.4 levels that you might've seen in the early seventies? Um, or are we in a new normal whereby 1.3 you know, range is where the pound is going to be stuck? And broadly speaking, we think the 1.3 is the new normal as the pound is really not a reserve currency like the dollar or euro or indeed uh, the renminbi might be uh, looking forward the next hundred years, uh, the pound is probably not in that reserve currency discussion. So I would not hold out hopes for it going back to 1.5 or, or 2 or 2.4. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, so we have another question here. Um, and it came in, uh, I just saw it, so apologies, it was in a, a different box, but can you explain what the U.S. thinks a lump sum is? So I'm thinking when the U.K. allows a 25% tax-free lump sum, how would the U.S. treat it? I'll do my best to answer this, but once again, this really has to be answered by a dual-qualified accountant at the end of the day, because their advice will be defendable against the IRS. Um, but from what we've seen, the, the real issue here is it is an interpretation of the tax treaty. This tax treaty that was written back in 1975, uh, it did not address many of these things. So, um, sure. So, um, the tax treaty here is really addressing the pension as either a lump sum payment or it's addressing it as pension income. And that's the thing we frequently see accountants dispute is, I mean, a 25% tax-free lump sum 
it has the word lump sum in it. So, you know, how could it not be a, a lump sum payment? But it is indeed coming from a pension. So it could very well be considered pension income. So who has the right of taxation? And then does the 25% tax-free lump sum apply uh, in that interpretation? That's, that's I think, where we see accountants split paths most of the time. But um, yeah, again, I can't really provide the actual absolute answer on that. That's something we would want to work with the uh, any client's accountant on. Chris, do you have anything to add on that? or? No, I, I think you explained that pretty clearly. Um, unfortunately, that is just a gray area that we have to live with. Uh, sometimes life is in black and white, sometimes life is gray. And, and ultimately, it would come down to, um, I imagine what the IRS auditor would think, um, would, were you to be audited uh, on this particular point. Um, so that's, again, why we work hand in glove uh, with, with a, an accountant or a dual qualified accountant to really understand your own situation and, and how could that be interpreted. Um, you know, if you were to liquidate the UK pension entirely, then certainly that is 100% lump sum. So 25% of that probably is tax-free. Um, but if you're just taking 25% over four years, actually, does that become a series of regular payments? And there, again, there's infinite um, discussion uh, avenues we can go down uh, once we've started that, uh, that rabbit hole. So I think we may have to leave that one, that particular question there. Yes. And the one other thing I, I will mention is, um, this might be too in the weeds, but for, in the past, we've seen um, the use of up pluses used uh, as, a, as another way to look at this. So an up plus um, is essentially mini lump sums, but it is, if, it, if it's used repeatedly over a long period of time, could be considered income. So that's another tool that can be used uh, in how you're, you're looking at the interpretation of this. Um, and then uh, final question, is a DB pension included for expatriation purposes? I'm not sure I understand the um, context of the question, um, but if you want to elaborate on that, whether it's US or UK expatriation you're talking about and, and to what degree you're wondering if the DB pension's included, um, we can take a shot at addressing that. Um, I'll try to add something to that because I, I do, we generally don't work with uh, Americans who expatriate, particularly if they're going to you know, move back to the US. Um, that's a, a bit of a challenge to expatriate and then expect to move back to the US. Um, but we have seen it considered part of your, your overall net worth. Um, so if you were considering expatriation, uh, and again, if you're living in the US, that's a very challenging uh, discussion to have, um, but we're happy to put you in touch with some estate planning and, and expatriation expert lawyers um, particularly based in London, who can who can answer that question more fully? Um, I don't think we're quite placed to to answer that question in this forum. Yep, thanks, Chris. Sure. And Kyle, uh, we do have a one other question here. Um, what are the benefits of considering, you know, my UK pension as part of my overall um, financial plan, and not just leaving it? As, I assume the implied there is not just leaving it as a one-off. Sure. Um, well, the, the benefits could be many there, but I'd say the biggest thing is it, it is something that's going to play into your future income, um, e even if it's a relatively small amount. But um, I, I would say there, there is something to consider, I think, if it's a very small amount. But if it's, uh, let's say, 100,000 pounds or more, it is a significant part of your future retirement plan. And we do a lot of things. One example off the top of my head is asset location. So if we were to manage your, your 
uh, or build your financial plan and manage your accounts in both the US and the UK, we can do a lot of cool things with placing some investments in the UK account where it makes sense and some investments in the US accounts where it makes sense, both from how that account is treated from a tax perspective and also what currency it's invested in. Um, we can also do a lot with um, taking advantage of, and we don't try to time the markets, I should say this, but taking advantage of the different currencies. So if the exchange rate is at an all-time low, like that 1.14 example we've seen, and we have a UK pension and a SIP, and we have flexibility to access those funds when we want, we can pause that income when it's at an all-time low and maybe turn it back on in the future as long as we can still source income from other, other places in the US. So we have the ability to, to incorporate that into your retirement income plan and then also use it. That, that also comes into effect with managing your retirement income tax. Because in retirement, you want to make sure that your income tax is at an attractive level for these tax-deferred accounts because you deferred tax because you're expecting to pay a lower tax rate in retirement than you were when you've earned that money back during the high earning, uh, the high income earning years that you were working. So we want to be able to control and manage your marginal tax rate in retirement. And having this UK pension asset and making sure we're moving the funds over at attractive exchange rates and not bumping you up into the next marginal tax bracket, incorporating all of that into your retirement plan is all very, very, very valuable to you. Um, so making sure that everything's working together. Uh, and then also, I should say, uh, there's a lot of reporting, like uh, FBARs. Many of you are probably used to FBARs. So reporting on these foreign accounts to the US every year. Well, if you have four pensions in the UK, you have to report each four of those uh, individually to the FBAR each year. And it's a lot of paperwork and you have to go out and find the highest value in USD during the calendar year. It's not fun, it's not easy. By incorporating this and consolidating it with someone who knows what they're doing and knows how to handle US UK things, we can one, get in one account. So you only have to report on one account. But two, we can provide all of this reporting to you through our uh, multi-currency reporting platform. So you don't have to go out and do the math and look for it. Um, if this is not valuable to you, I can assure you it is valuable to your accountants. Uh, so, so someone will be happy that you have this. Uh, and th there's probably 50 other things I could list out, but we're, we're running out of time here. So Chris, uh, I don't know if you had anything to add to that, but this is probably the last question. Yeah, I think that's a good, good explanation, particularly the, the thoughts around asset location. So if, for example, your, your desired asset allocation includes a high income component like uh, REITs or high yield bonds or something of that sort, you know, why not put that into a pension where you can compound and defer that income as long as possible and then control the taxation when you want to take it. And then secondly is controlling the income taxation, as you referred to, really, really important to ensure that you are uh, achieving what I might say is the lowest lifetime average tax rate through retirement. Not a very good acronym. You should come up with something better for that. Um, but what is that lower, lowest lifetime average tax rate? You don't want to take out $200,000 of a pension income one year and then zero the next year. You've obviously just blown through lots of different tax brackets in one year. Could you have smoothed that out over two years um, to where you're, you're achieving a, a lower um, average tax rate across the two years? And having visibility into the UK pensions allows us one more tool uh, in the toolbox to be able to control that, that tax rate through retirement. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I've brought this slide up uh, just to show you our email addresses again. If any of you uh, listening have any questions or want any further information, we're always happy to chat. 
Um, probably better if it's a U.S. resident with a U.K. pension to reach out to myself, but Chris will certainly answer your questions as well. Um, but if you have any questions or are even interested in seeing if anything we spoke about today applies to your situation, we're happy to chat. It's, you know, we're not, we are eating our own cooking, as Chris said, many of us are dual U.S. U.K. citizens. So we're, we're not going to try and sell you on anything. Um, if we truly think it's valuable to you, we'll, we'll explain why and we'll show you why. But um, please do reach out to either of us if, if you have any questions or want to explore your own situation further. Great. And with that, thank you for joining us today. And thank you, Chris, uh, for joining us from London. I know it's, it's getting late there. Uh, so have a good afternoon or evening, depending on where you are. And uh, I hope you found this helpful.